Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'll turn with me over to the book of Acts chapter 3. So we're continuing our study of the book of Acts and uh, going through exactly what happened in the days of the early church. And we've been looking at really a verse-by-verse, kind of a play-by-play, if you will, of what's taking place in the book of Acts. And so if you remember, just a little bit of a review here this morning, the book of Acts is written by Luke, again, the same guy that wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke, just to the left, a couple of books in, in the Bible. And here Luke reminded us that he has thoroughly investigated things. And so as he was um, an investigator, a doctor, and a seeker of wisdom, a figurer-outer of things, if you will, a good southeast Missouri term that I grew up with, uh, he wanted to figure everything out. He wanted to know this. And so he actually put this in a letter, and this is the history that we then celebrate, which is our heritage as followers in relationship with Jesus Christ. So Luke took us back at the beginning as Jesus was here on earth in his last days. A few days after um, Jesus had come back to life, we see Jesus appeared um, to his disciples, and then we actually see his ascension. We fast forward, and we're about 40 days into this now, and we get into Acts chapter 2. We, get the, we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the launch of the early church, and last week we ended at the end of Acts chapter 2. And the phrase that I, or the, the verse that I want to just kind of catapult into uh, for this morning is at the very, very end of Acts chapter 2, where we see two things. One, all the believers were together, and then all the people was filled with awe. Everyone was filled with awe. And so it's with this mindset of awe that we actually get into Acts chapter 3. So let's begin reading at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, this verse is significant because it gives us the setting, not only the time of day, but Luke then also gives us the people and the location. And all three of these are going to be vital for seeing how the work of the Holy Spirit that they've been filled with begins to affect everyday life. So there's Peter and John. It's about three in the afternoon at the time of prayer, and they're at the temple. And so they're going through this practice that they have actually been raised with. And then in verse 2, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg, for those going, to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. 
So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I, as I read this verse, I thought about the missed expectations. This isn't a part of my sermon this morning. This is just some added bonus thoughts uh, that I, as I read through this verse. So here's a man who has a need. Peter and John come along. They have an interaction with this man. He's wanting money because he's done this. And in Acts chapter 4, it tells us his age. He's over 40 years old or about 40 years old. So he's done this for quite some time. He gets carried down to the temple. As people come in, he asks for money. He's a beggar. He needs some money. He can't work. And so people would give him money. And so this man actually asked for something. Peter says, I want you to look at me. And then the scriptures say, the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Have you ever looked at something, expecting to get something one way, and then you actually get something that's totally different? So I'll, I'll teeter-totter here on the edge of life itself. How many of you entered marriage expecting, mar- don't raise your hand, expecting marriage to be one way, and then you get to something that's totally different? Good, none of you raised your hands. You know, I think that that's true for us, not only in marriage, but in everything in life. We have our own set of expectations of how things are supposed to be. For those of you who may be retired now, can you look back over your life over the decades? And can you say that you expected your life to turn out the exact same way that it actually played out? Good or bad? And there's good and bad in everything. Good and bad in all of our lives. Maybe it was going into marriage. You expected marriage to be at this level. But when you actually got into marriage, it was so much better than you actually expected marriage to be. Or maybe it was in going into college. You expected your college to be this way. And maybe it was a little below that or maybe it was a little above that. We all have expectations in every area of our life. This man had the expectation that he was going to get one thing, which was money from Peter and John and the others that had gathered there that day. But I promise you, he did not have the expectation that after decades of gathering at the gates to go into the temple, that on this day, the expectation was that he was going to be able to walk out of there on his own two feet with his own two power with his own power, instead of having to be carried into there. You know, some of us enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ that way, right? We have an expectation of what that's going to be. After the Holy Spirit pulls at our hearts, and after we enter into that relationship, we expect that the relationship with Jesus is going to be one way. But it turns out that despite the difficulty and despite the hard that we all experience in life, our relationship with Jesus is far greater than what we could ever imagine. And Paul said that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask, think, imagine, or whatever you want that last word there to be. Jesus is far greater than all of our expectations. And we see that in this man's life. We'll come back to this and pick up from here. But let's start reading at verse number six. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. 
he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so here as we ended Acts chapter 2, and then we get into this first miracle that we see as we see Peter and John going about their daily life and they interact with this man, that same wonder or that same awe is actually continued into the life of the believers. Now remember, as we said last week, and if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back on our YouTube channel, on our webpage, and watch it, because that wonder and that awe is important for us in the life of the church. We need to make certain that we are operating under the power of Jesus Christ, so that as we live our life, people are in amazement or in wonder or in awe of the things that are taking place in our life, and then together as the body of Christ. And so this continues. The story doesn't stop here. Luke gives us more in verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. I love that phrase. You killed the author of life. The one who is there that spoke life into existence. Peter, in his second sermon, we see now, Peter says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witness of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. We'll continue in Peter's sermon, verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. I'm sure that was a winning phrase, right? You acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise you up for a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, All the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And so there then is Peter's second sermon that we see the miraculous power of Jesus. Have a a man who can't walk stand up and then begin to walk. 
Don't you just love, love, love the power of God that is on display in this? Could you imagine being there as the man is begging and then Peter and John encourage him through the power of Jesus Christ and the infilling of, their Holy, of the Holy Spirit that they have received to actually begin to get up and walk? I love to hear stories like this of the power of God, of the miraculous power that changes in a moment and people's lives are never the same. And I long to see more of this power at display in our lives and in the life of what we're doing here at Whitechapel Church. But here's what we have to catch and here's what we have to understand that's taking place here. Power that we see on display here that the, that the non-believers were in awe and wonder of is simply living a life that is changed by Jesus. That's all it is. We don't have to work hard at it. We have to invest in it, and we have to invest in that relationship so that we can grow in Christ. But it's simply living a life that was changed by Jesus. And so here we see this taking place in Peter and John. Peter and John, whenever they were called by Jesus, they were with Jesus. They went with Jesus. They were with Jesus for about three to three and a half years. And then Jesus gave some instructions after he was crucified and he arose back to life. And they said, this, Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. You're simply going to be my witnesses, but I want you to wait until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. About a month and a half takes place. The Holy Spirit arrives and Peter and John begin to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Watch the pattern that took place. They were with Jesus. Jesus changed their life. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they operated on God's power. That was it. We don't see anything with Peter and John operating in their own power and their own strength here. Now, there were some times we see when Jesus, it's recorded in the Gospels, that they then began to operate with their own strength, and Jesus corrected that in a loving way and brought them back into right relationship with him. But here, Peter even proclaims it. We don't have any silver and gold. In other words, we don't have anything in our own power to give to you. We could do that, but we don't have anything to give to you. All we can give to you is what we have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And so here they're operating on the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. We sang about it today. All the songs, we commemorated it through, uh, in remembrance of Jesus through the receiving of the bread and the cup, his body and his blood. We celebrated that our lives have been changed by Jesus. But Peter and John, we see, went the step further and operated under the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so if you remember what we've been discussing for quite some time, and I've left it up here this morning, it's just this simple word, grace. The simple word, grace. It's a very, very simple word, but it goes back to what we believe is a foundation of who we are in God establishing a church here in South Daytona that we are a part of. We believe that we are a refuge of grace. And if we look at what's taking place here in the early church, they're simply a refuge of grace. One of our guiding verses is here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. In one translation that I like the best, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Another translation says, See to it that no one is left out 
from God's grace. I love that. And that is who we are. Peter and John, two men that were changed by God's grace. And if we look at the two sermons that Peter preaches, the one back in Acts 2, where over 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ, and then this one here in Acts chapter 3, whenever they begin to be questioned from this miraculous, uh, from this miraculous power of God on display, over and over, Peter goes back to the grace of Jesus Christ. And so what we have said here is a refuge of grace is simply a gathering of people whose lives have been changed by the power of Jesus. That's grace. This is who we have to be. If we want people to be in awe of what God is doing, then we have to yield and allow our lives to be changed by the power of Jesus. And the way that plays out is we receive his grace, and then we are actually filled with the Holy Spirit. I like the way that Max Lucado says it. Max says, healing happens when the wound is exposed to the atmosphere of grace. That's what's taking place here with this man who can't walk. The healing in his life happened whenever he was exposed to the atmosphere of grace. And listen, we have things in our lives, every one of us, that need to be healed. This world, our culture, and our country, our state, our cities, our county, we have to see people's lives who are exposed to the atmosphere of grace so the wounds that they carry can be healed. And we as a country, as a, as, as a culture, we have tried to offer so many different things to bring healing to people's lives, but it doesn't happen until they are exposed to the atmosphere of grace. And that's why it's vital that we have to be a refuge of grace for this community. So we keep this banner of grace over us as a reminder that we simply have to be people whose lives have been changed by the grace of God. In other words, we're just Jesus people, right? We're just Jesus people. So think about this man who had gathered for decades outside the gate. Think of the temple. So remember, we said we have people, Peter and John. It's important for us to see that. We have the location, the temple. And then we have the time of day. About 3 o'clock, they were gathering for prayer. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Luke spells all of this out for us because it lays the setting for what's going to happen and what is different after decades. We have Peter and John who are simply Jesus people. Their life has been changed by the power of Jesus, which is grace. They've been filled with the Spirit of God, and they're going for prayer to the temple. Now let's think back to the Old Testament for just a moment about the temple. What was the temple? The temple was where people experienced the power of God through his presence, right? But yet this man had been going to the temple for about 40 years waiting to be changed by the power of God. Now we know, we know that the truth is the presence of God had been absent from the temple for quite uh, several hundred years. Uh, it could have been called an Ichabod. It wasn't there any longer. And so there was this period to where there was no presence and no power at the temple. But they kept going back because this was their religious duty. 
And so here, Peter and John, they just get changed by Jesus. They get filled by the Holy Spirit. They keep going back to the temple for this period of prayer. And all of the religious... um, Uh, And all of the religiousness that is on display here, outside of the temple with this man, where the presence and power of God is supposed to be, the the power was missed and this man was never healed. But what happened is whenever grace showed up and the Holy Spirit showed up, that's when things began to take place. And that's when this man was healed. Time after time, after time after time, and day after day, for decades, absolutely nothing happened in this place that was supposed to be home to the presence of God. But things changed on the cross. When Jesus gave us his blood, being shed to give to us grace, things changed. And the scriptures tell us that the veil of the temple, or the curtain into the temple, was actually torn in two. And there then symbolized that Jesus could actually then, through his bloodshed, extend God's presence to his people. It was fulfilled, the promise here, as Joel gave us in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. That the veil of the temple was ripped in two, and God was actually now with his people. And whenever Peter and John showed up, that's when this man finally experienced Jesus' life-changing power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This man experienced this power, not flowing out of the doors of the temple, but instead walking up the stairs in Peter and John. And this is the way that South Daytona in Volusia County is going to experience the power and the presence of God. It's going to be when we take the presence of God, people whose lives have been changed by Jesus' power and grace, and the Holy Spirit's infilling with us, and we encounter these people just in our daily life. People need to be changed by the power of Jesus, and we have that power living inside of us. You see, We've been called truly to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those that are around us. And I believe that God has placed people in your life that need to be changed by Jesus' power and grace and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And those people are simply waiting to experience that power so they too can have their wounds healed. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We don't have the power. We don't hold the key to miracles. We're just the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus is the power. Peter and John said it this way, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you. And what did they have? The power, the presence of Jesus Christ. They were the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus was the power. A reminder for us that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, the last part of verse 27. It says, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, that power that resides in us, the Holy Spirit inside of us, so that we can then take the presence of God with us everywhere we go. If you write things down, or if you take photos of these slides, I want to encourage you to write this down or take a photo of this, because every one of us need this reminder. God's power accompanies his presence, right? God's power accompanies his presence. Now, we could do a study of God's presence 
and what happens whenever God's presence actually shows up. And when we stop operating in our power and instead we allow God's presence to change the atmosphere of the rooms that we are actually a part of. You see what happens whenever the power of God shows up accompanied with his presence. Then things begin to change. Peter and John did not operate in their own power here. They simply were going about their daily life knowing that the presence of God was with them. And as the veil of the temple was torn in two and God moved out of the temple and he moved into his people so that we then become the temple of the Holy Spirit, they knew that God's presence was with him, with them. And they then were not operating in their own strength and abilities, not operating on their own power, but instead they were operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were moving under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And here this man just happened to be in their way, on the path that they were going to. This man who needed the presence of God and the power of God in his life. Peter and John said, we don't have anything to give you. All we have is the presence of God. Listen, we as a church have to stop trying to give this community what we think they need. Right? We have to stop thinking, oh, this is what this community needs. We have to stop trying to study and stop trying to figure out. We need to stop with all of that and simply give to those around us the presence of Jesus that he intends for us to offer to those that are around us. You see, Peter and John here in Acts chapter 3 did not say to this guy, I know that you've been here for some 40 years or so. Word got around. If somebody were to sit outside the doors to our church and we passed that guy for 40 years or so, every single time that we gathered here, word would get around among us that there's some guy on the way to church that sits outside our doors. You might want to go into a different door, right? He's in the way. He's just begging and asking for money. But you see, they operating on the power of the Holy Spirit simply were moving under the direction of what God had given to them, his presence, which then gives his power. And so here, this man sitting outside the gate had always missed the presence of Jesus. But here, Peter and John did not say, I know that you need money. Let me go talk to some of the other 10 disciples, apostles, and there's another 3,000 or so that have gotten saved at my last sermon. Let me go back and consult them. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, as we were living this, we sold a whole lot of our stuff and we gave to everybody as need. You're asking for money, so let me go back to these people and let me get a little bit of money. Give us a little bit of time. We'll see you the next time when it's 3 in the afternoon and we need to gather for prayer. We'll bring some money with you. That's not what Peter and John did. They didn't assess the need and then say, well, you just need some better crutches. It's obvious that God intended for you to be this way because you've been crippled from birth. You're not able to walk. And so maybe we'll put together a little fun from the believers that are selling everything. And we want to help your life be a little bit better. And we're going to maybe offer a nice wheelchair, get you some good crutches. So then that way you don't have to be carried around everywhere that you go. They didn't assess that he needed food. 
They didn't assess that he needed additional medical devices. They didn't assess that he needed a nice ramp to go up. They didn't go through all of this stuff. They simply said, we see the need in your life is far greater than you expect. Remember, he had expectations. He wanted to receive one thing, but God wanted something different for his life. They simply said, we see the greatest need you have is the presence of Jesus in your life. And the presence of Jesus is accompanied with his power. And so we are only going to give to you what we have. So in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. They didn't give the man what their assessments in the flesh would have said the man actually needed. They gave him the presence of Jesus. You see, it was the gift of grace. Why did they do that? Because they were grace people. They were Jesus people operating under the power of God. Now, do we need to be smart in the way that we meet the needs of the community? Absolutely. I'm not saying that we don't do that. But I'm saying that the needs physically that people have are much, much, much less than the spiritual need that is there. And if we are going to begin to meet needs in the physical realm, we have to also recognize that there are some people that we need to say, we don't have silver and gold. We can only give you what we have. So in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That is the awe and power that our world needs today. That is the wonder and amazement at the power of God that we need to see back at life in our world today so that people also become Jesus people, are people that are living a life changed by his grace. You see, Jesus' desire was not that we would become a church people. Jesus' desire that we would be a part of the church, a part of his bride. But far greater than that, we would be a kingdom people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is drawing a line here, and he's saying, My Father in heaven has a will for your life. And whenever you enter into a relationship with Jesus, and whenever your life is changed by his grace, then it goes a step further, and we then yield to the will of God. Those who will enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, will be those who do the will of my Father. But you have to have the Holy Spirit's power to do that. So I want to come back to this slide. God's power accompanies his presence. And I love math. It's one of my favorite subjects. And so I want to give you an equation that we then have to apply to our lives. It goes right along with this. There's three things here that we have to get. It's God's presence, God's power, and God's people. God's presence accompanies, or God's power accompanies God's presence. And so if we have God's presence, then we have access to God's power. All we simply need is God's people. That's the bride of Christ. That's those that are part of his kingdom. God's presence and God's power combined with God's people equals a changed world. You see, that's what is on display here in Acts chapter 3. God's people, Peter and John who had God's presence in them, the Holy Spirit, had access to God's power, 
And the man that had been lame for 40 years or so is the changed world. We pray for a changed world. We want the world to actually be changed. The world needs God's presence. The world needs God's power. All we have to do as God's people is yield to what God wants us to do and live our lives filled with His Holy Spirit, receiving His power, and that's how we simply see a changed world. The power is not our power. Instead, we operate under His power. To be political just a little bit here this morning, without being political a little bit this morning, our president this last week, and some of you have already tuned me out because I said the president word. Some of you, ooh, I can't wait to hear what he's going to say because I said the president word. I just want to point out something our president said and then the after effects of that. Our president this week said something about one sector of the power industry, one area that we get power here in the United States. It's been one of the earliest forms of power. And the president made a comment about that section of power. And he said, we're going to take that power and we're going to replace that power with some other kind of power. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not getting into that. I'm not going to talk about whether one power being right or one power being wrong or we need this power or that power. That's something for another day and nowhere inside of these four walls. But the president made a comment about one sector of the power in the United States of America. And it set off a chain reaction from people in his own party, people within the White House, and people in certain areas of our country who produce that type of power. You see, whenever you attack power, it upsets people. And we will see as we continue going through this change and this shift of power, how people began to persecute the Christians. They were upset with the Christians. If you start reading in chapter 4, Peter and James get called before the Sanhedrin. And they first say to Peter, I'm sorry, Peter and John, they say to Peter and John, whose power did you do this in? Whose power did you operate in that allowed this man to get up and walk? And they said, it's just Jesus' power. All we have is Jesus' power. But what the Sanhedrin began to see is there's an attack on the power that they have held for centuries. For centuries. And they were upset. And so whenever you attack the enemy's power, the enemy is going to attack back. And so we have to be prepared in continuing to operate in the Holy Spirit's power and not on our own power. And so last week we said, we know, we know that we're not wrestling, wrestling against flesh and blood. We are fighting against the enemy. And if we want to win the fight against the enemy, we can't do it in our own strength, our own abilities, and our own power. We can only do it when we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we begin to operate this way, God's presence in us, God's power on display through us, we as God's people, we will see a changed world. But the enemy does not want a changed world. The enemy will do everything he can to stop the move of God. And so we have to be ready for it. And the way that we're ready for it is to stay in operating under the power of God's Holy Spirit. God's presence plus God's power plus God's people, it equals a changed world. Let me give you 
one verse as a reminder that we'll close with this morning. Again, Paul writing here in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So here's what Paul is saying. If you operate in your fleshly power, then you're going to fix your mind, you'll fix your heart on the fleshly powerful desires. But he points out something different, and this is who we have to be as Jesus people. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Do you see the road that splits here? Whenever you encounter Jesus and you enter into a grace-filled relationship with Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit's power. You do two steps here. Change by grace, receive the Holy Spirit's power. The road splits. And Paul is pointing out you can no longer, as a grace-filled person, operate under the power of the flesh any longer. If, Paul says, if your life is lived according to the flesh, you have your mind on fleshly desires. However, if you have experienced the presence of God, you have the power of God with you, then things change in your life. You have your mind set on what the Spirit desires. And so this here for us has to be the reminder that we cannot operate under the power of the Holy Spirit I'm sorry, under the power of the flesh, we have to operate under the power of God's presence with us, the Holy Spirit. And so I leave you with this question for you to wrestle with the Lord with. What is your mind set on? What is your mind set on? What is your heart set on? What is it that you pursue? When you wake up in the morning, when you get your day going and when you are operating, what are you chasing after? Are you chasing after the flesh? Are you operating under the flesh's power? Are you chasing after the desires of the Spirit? This is the question. This is, this is the assessment that we have to do in our life. What is your mind set on? What is your mind set on? And so this morning, I want to ask you, to renew your mind. In Romans 8, Paul gets into a lot of the renewal of the mind and what that looks like. It'd be a good chapter for you to read this week if you have some time. But I just, this morning, I just want you to ask that question. What is your mind set on? But then I don't want you to answer it. I want you to ask that of the Lord and wait for him to answer it. Because in a refuge of grace, we can't operate under our own power under the power of the flesh, we have to operate under God's power and set our minds on the desires of the Spirit. God's presence plus God's power and God's people equals a changed world. But we have to understand where our mind is set on, what our mind is set on. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.